Welcome to VR Hermits, a podcast about virtual reality development. I'm Dave Ramsey. And I'm Joe Simpson. Let's get started. I've been filling my week with code, and then I get to the weekend, and I'm doing different code. Yeah. Um, I didn't have a lot of time for playing around this week. Did a little bit of hollow ball today and tried quiver for a while. And uh, I think Trickster ruined me for archery games. Yeah. It just the, the bow and arrow there feels more real than anywhere else. The one in Trickster? Mm-hmm. Okay. I I bought it during the Steam sale and I haven't played it yet. Yeah, it's more, it's not as realistic. Like, you don't reload in the same way. Everything right. just show up in your hand. So in okay. that sense, it's not as realistic. But just the haptics from it and the sound, like just it feels like I'm firing these things. Gotcha. Where I didn't quite get the same thing from Quiver, and definitely not from the thing in the lab anymore. Okay. Quiver feels very much bow-like to me, but I also really like the Quiver motion. So yeah. I like reaching back over my shoulder, grabbing an arrow, knocking it and firing it and just like for me the most perfect experience of vr so far has been standing on one of those little gate towers Mm -hmm. and one of the heavily armored orcs is charging the gate and i don't get a line like i was dealing with something else or whatever i don't get a line on him until he's already close and I draw and fire three arrows in rapid succession, sinking them into him so that he collapses as a corpse right at the gate. Nice. And that just feels amazing. Like it just it yeah. just feels good as a yeah. thing. Um so Yeah, I think the best best VR feeling like that I've had is probably playing a hollow ball just against the computer and like a relatively not the easiest mode, not even the most difficult, but just like I'm basically just playing VR Pong, but it's like just a really well-crafted game. The music kind of pumps you up a little bit. And mm-hmm. It looks really good. And it gets pretty difficult. It was a lot of fun. Yeah, that one that one didn't. I mean, it was interesting, but it didn't spark anything for me. Well, you, you just played in Zen mode, which was just knock the ball around. You didn't actually play against the computer or anything. Sure. But it gets pretty intense. Um. But yeah. Other than that, how's it going this week? Uh, pretty good. Continuing the process of everything that I work on is more complicated than I thought it was going to be. <laughs> yeah, I remember getting a message from you sometime in the week to that effect. There's um, the code is now at a point that if I had to, I could demo it the way it is. Nice. Like all the, well, not all the major pieces, but enough of the major pieces are in place that I could show it to somebody and they would understand what I was trying to accomplish. And, and for the record, this is your non VR project you're talking about. Right. Your day job, as you call yeah. it. So I've got, it's a, it's better than a functional prototype. It's not yet a beta, but it could totally be an early alpha. Like it does stuff. It's useful. And a lot of the graphic elements are there. It just needs. Needs a lot more work. Mm -hmm. I'm going to get that over the next two weeks. But 
soon. Yeah. Yeah. Fun. So what are you doing on VR stuff? On VR stuff, I continued with my coursework on that uh, Unreal Engine approved uh, course. Okay. Um, There was a huge jump. You were talking last week about how the guy seemed to like suddenly hurry up Mm -hmm. and start moving really quickly. There was a little bit of that between the first lighting lesson and the second lighting lesson Mm -hmm. where you come back in and he's showing you the current state of the room and the current state of the room is dramatically further forward than it was at the end of the last lesson. Yeah. And he's just kind of going, well, there's this and this and this and just kind of flipping around the room. And while he's doing it, he's doing interesting interface things that I haven't entirely figured out yet. For example, one of them was, um, Showing and hiding the sprites. Mm-hmm. Have you played with that? Yeah. Okay. Um, as far as I can tell, he's doing a key command that toggles all the sprites. So the lighting yeah. is still there, but the sprite for the light is not. Yeah. If you look in the the top left of the viewport, there is the show menu, uh-huh. and it's got a list of things you can show or hide. So. If, like by default, navigational meshes are not shown, but you can push, I think it's L to show them. Mm-hmm. Um, or maybe it's P, I forget. But there's a whole bunch of those. Like there's a, there's a bunch of things that are always going to show by default for a project and a bunch of things that are turned off by default. Um, but you can flip through different modes or you can turn off all the static meshes or just the skeletal meshes or just the geometry objects, things like that. So you can get different perspectives on the scene, but it's all buried in that menu and each of them has a little uh, key command assigned to them. And and that's the thing I see like a menu, like there's a, a specific sprites menu that then has like a show all hide all toggle, which is probably what he was using, but there's no key command for those, at least nothing on screen. No, this isn't in the menu bar of the application. This is inside the viewport yes. where it, it says the word show. So the, right, that. Yeah, and keep in mind he this thing Unreal Engine has a massive key binding thing right. as well. So he's probably mapped a bunch of stuff on his own. May well be, and, and so doing research on how he was doing that at least found me the menu. I couldn't figure out how he was key toggling it, but yeah, that's fine. Um, yeah. But yeah, I mean he's just just flying around. I'm becoming more flexible. I'm moving around the space better. I still find very often as I'm moving that I'm moving in too large an increment. Mm-hmm. You can turn that down in the viewport as well. Yeah. And unless it's doing something weird, like I guess my issue is when I'm trying to move quickly across the space, I need that number to be higher. And when I want to move by a minor adjustment, I want that number to be really low. Mm-hmm. I think you're you're making the same mistake that I thought at first. Was I can just set this up to work my way. But no, from what I've seen from all the other tutorials and people using Unreal Editor, Unreal Engine, they're constantly tweaking those things for every 
as they go in and out of different workflows. Right. Like changing camera speed just becomes a, a thing you do throughout the day, depending on what you're working on. Just like you change translation tools between you know, moving and rotation and scaling. See, I've been playing with writing tools for developers for too long mm-hmm. because as I'm learning more about this engine, what I keep wanting to do is get involved in like the open source side of things. Like, let me help you here. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like the error message pops up when you uh, build lighting and you've got too many overlaps. Mm-hmm. It brings up a dialogue that warns you about that. Yeah, it is not very clear. <laughs> well, it's not very clear, but the smaller one that bugs me is the fact that the on the left-hand side, you got a list that's a navigable thing, and then on the right-hand side, most of the window is a text display region. Mm-hmm. The text in that text display region doesn't wrap. Oh, nice. So my error message is too long, so I have to actually like reach in there and try and slide it around so I can see what the tail end of the message is. It also doesn't allow, as far as I can tell, things like copying the text of that message for making a really easy Google search. Hmm. Um, and so I'm like, okay, if I can just dig in here, let me see if I can fix some of these things for you guys. <laughs> and what I don't want to do is get distracted and just start play, like writing on the tools. Writing developer tools again. Right. That's not, it's not where I want to end up. I did do enough running around in circles and dragging things around. What was I in? I think I switched back over to my Mac and was browsing through the web and tried to right click and use a key command so I could scroll around a browser window. <laughs> nice. <laughs> Yeah, so I was using I've, WASD to move around with a right click way too much. and Yep, that's not going to happen on most sites. <laughs> There's going to be a few A-frame sites where that might work. But... Yeah. So, so I yeah. can't tell you how many times I've tried to go into layout mode in a web browser. <laughs> FileMaker's layout mode. There is that. Um, so yeah, in the process, I kind of started making a list of things that I thought were really cool and then things that I thought were kind of less cool. Okay. Let's go through um, yeah. Well, the first cool one I really liked is in the demo, he's got this kind of, uh, shelving unit. It's two by four kind of cubby holes. Mm-hmm. So it's a tall shelf with some little spaces and getting used to the concept of kind of manipulating your assets. Cause anytime you can reuse one, you just saved yourself a mesh. And so he, you know, stacks two of them side by side and then up by the television, grabs the whole thing, rotates it 90 degrees kind of around the like Y axis rotates, flips the whole thing on its side, sinks it halfway into the floor and goes TV stand and moves on. Mm -hmm. And I just, I liked it. It made me giggle. Yeah. Um, I really liked using the, uh, the unreal editors foliage tool to the blocks, make a child's mess. Yeah. Like loading that up with, um, uh, child blocks and then painting mess on the floor 
in the same way that you might normally do that with plants. That was just, I, again, got a giggle out of it. It was kind of cool. Yeah, a um, little workaround. It's not perfect if you go overboard. You have to kind of manually remove some of the ones that are colliding, but yep. it was pretty cool. Yeah, I repositioned a couple of them and carefully stacked a couple, and yeah, it was all fine. But For some uh, reason, the first time I did that, when I was painting them, they all showed up underneath the floor. So, <laughs> like I, I could see the little yellow outlines of all of them selected, and I, I couldn't see them. And I like zoomed underneath the house, and there's just all these blocks hanging from underneath the floor of the house. Like, this is strange. Um, it was when we got into the lighting part that I had my first major slowdown in the coursework. Okay. Because my first four lights were uh, turning on the, uh, 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 the overlapping light warning. Yeah, and I did that too before I got to that part in the video. <clears throat> right. So... I ended up, you know, losing 20 minutes running around on the net trying to read and understand things and then adjust things to fix them. And 15 minutes later in the video, 10 minutes later in the video, he's going through how to fix this exact problem. Mm-hmm. And well, basically, point lights, you can't have more than three point lights overlapping in a specific area or a particular area. Um, so you can move them further apart or adjust basically their zone of influence. I forget what the exact term is, but yeah, it's just something to be mindful of. Yeah, and he goes through the other ways to solve the problem, and that's all well and good. That was great. It was just I needed that information earlier, and because I've gotten so used to watching for 15 seconds and then pausing it to try and catch up, it meant that the solution to my problem was very, very far away in the video, mm-hmm. like an hour in subjective time where for him, it was only 10 minutes of video. So slightly ick. Um, and, and that was also tied in then with the error message that was not exceptionally clear. Like, if they've got all that great documentation, let's get some of that great documentation in with the error message. So tell me, you've told me what the problem is. Describe now why this problem is occurring and how I might go about fixing it. You've seen nothing yet. Wait till you see the error messages from compiling C++ code with issues. Oh, I'm, I'm so looking forward to it, Joe. It's very cryptic. And don't even bother trying to compile C++ code in Visual Studio with a bunch of Unreal Engine macros. Because it has no idea what all those macros are. <laughs> um, you basically, you, you write a bunch of code in C++, then jump over to Unreal Engine and compile it there, because at least it can recognize the objects and, and tell you what's wrong with them most of the time. Trying to read my notes here. Uh, reflection capture actions, actives. Actors. Actors. I know there's like a reflect reflection mode in the viewport where you can see how things are reflecting around the scene. That looks really some, cool. And it looks so cool I wanted to make a game where you played in that mode. Yeah. Like I, I wish I could just turn on wireframe mode and like, can I ship this? <laughs> this is pretty cool. 
I would climb inside that in a headset. It'd be a lot of fun. But to add some effects to it. But. Yeah, there's a, a, a lot of other rendering things will have a wireframe mode where it still hides pieces of the wireframe that you couldn't see. Mm-hmm. So it's it's just the exposed faces, but it's still basically just wireframe. Yeah. And that, I think, looks awesome. Full wireframe. Yeah, it's a bit much. Too much detail, a little too complicated. Um, but yeah, the whole the whole reflection capture thing made basically no sense. I I definitely needed more detail on what it was that we were doing or what it was that he was looking at. Like he's like, okay, so we're gonna put some more of these around here to kind of fill in the holes. And I'm not seeing where the holes are that he's filling in. This is the point at which I start losing track of what he's talking about. Mm-hmm. I, I couldn't tell whether it was like a CD greening kind of thing where he was seeing something that I can't see or whether he was seeing something that he just had, didn't do a good enough job of pointing out to me. Yeah. yeah I think it was just variations in light levels that he was trying to get light from outside to reflect around the room a little bit better. Yeah, it, it all seemed. I, I basically breathed through those two lighting videos of like, this is all way more than I need to do in any of the games that I want to make. I need basically static lighting or stationary lighting where you can have a shadow on the character playing, but everything else needs to just calm down. Yeah. In general, I found that the, the videos that he's doing, as we said before, we really liked them because they were very fast. But somewhere along the line, he's stopped doing as much explanation. Mm-hmm. So he's still moving just as quickly, but there's less yeah. information coming along. Yeah. Which is worse. But all it needs to do is get me over the hump where I can start following other tutorials and things like that. And I'll be fine with it. That's all I really yeah. need. Yeah. I'll probably go back through the rest of the videos of his that I haven't done, but I probably won't try to work through them. I'll probably just sit on the couch and watch them and take notes about things about the editor that stand out to me rather than try to painstakingly recreate the games that he's working on. Yep. So yeah, I'm basically, I finished detailing the room and did lighting and environment part A and part B. So my next step is post-processing part A. I've got four lessons left in section one. Okay. So that may be one good solid day of learning. Um, yeah, the post-processing thing is really cool and just packed full of information. Like what those little invisible boxes can do to a scene. It's pretty amazing. And then there's the sequencer animation stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Making little videos, cutscenes, and such. Yep. So I'm looking forward to it. And then after that, we get to, it looks like we get to start working on game development, which would be really nice. Like I I like learning about the tools for arranging things and setting things up and making things look nice, but I really want to start making something happen. Mm -hmm. Like I really want to see blueprints, (laughs) which I still haven't. There hasn't been any of it so far. 
Like there's no code. I need just a little bit of code, man. Just some code. Yeah. That's why I kind of sped through the architecture stuff. Like basically he's using he's using those as a way to show you around the editor, but he's also disregarding pretty much all of the best practices. And he says that over and over again during the videos, like you would never do this in a game, but we're not in a game. So I'm going to ramp up all these effects and add all these lighting and reflections and like all the stuff you can get away with because the end result of that section is, is a video. Nobody ever has to run that on their computer and have their graphics card blow up. Right. But yeah. The, the pinball game is much more practical. It's less ambitious than other tutorials. Like it's just, we're just starting with a pinball game, but it was actually a lot of fun to make. Um, just like carve out, starting with geometry blocks and start carving it out. Learn how you know, make your first material and things like that. Nope, like I said, I, I'm really looking forward to that one. If for no other reason than the pinball construction set was one of my favorite games growing up. Yeah. So you'll enjoy that then. Uh, absolutely. At least I hope so. Why don't you make a VR pinball game where the player is the ball on a stabilized camera? We don't need rolling around. Wow, that sounds vomitous. Well, no, you stabilize the camera. It'd be fun. I'm just imagining those spots where you slam back and forth between two bumpers. Mm -hmm. Ding, 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 ding. Yeah, that that doesn't sound like it would be great to be looking... Yeah, outside of the VR experience, your friends could be like sitting there smacking you with wiffle bats <laughs> on impact. <laughs> you know, really work up the realism. Wiffle bat pinball. Mm-hmm. Let me jot that down. Yeah, I think we found this week's bad game idea. So uh, I have been working on my little project and uh, I think I had less hope every day throughout the week. Until I just kind of finished the week, you know, gently sobbing into my mechanical keyboard. And, uh, yeah, it's just, we talked about it in episode one about how it's both fun and terrifying to know nothing about the new development environment. And I'm definitely feeling that now, like just not knowing how to ask the right questions in a lot of ways and some things that I think, oh, you know, this should be not easy, but I should be able to learn how to do this. And I I can't even figure out how to Google how to do that yet. Mm. So yeah, this week I spent mostly, in fact, I spent almost entirely in level design and making some materials. I didn't really do any code or any blueprints. Um, Just wanted to create a 3D environment that I could climb into and get a feel for the scale of the game that I'm making and then actually have things to walk on and buildings or fake buildings around. And uh, that's pretty much what I did. Um, I went through my notes from the week about an hour or two ago and tried to pick out a couple of topics that I spent the most time on that I found either the most interesting or I struggle with the most. Um, so in no particular order, I guess we'll start with lighting because you've already talked about it. Mm -hmm. And this is my third or fourth introduction to lighting. um, And it's confusing every time. And now I'm working on an outdoor scene, you know, city level or larger. So I need, I don't just need to set up point lights 
in a room and um, get those working. I need to get the sky a certain color and things like that. So I basically spent the better part of Monday just learning how to make nighttime happen. Um, it's a little <laughs> bit more. <laughs> yeah. It's, part, it's partly rotating the directional light, which acts as the sun, but also changing the skybox and a bunch of other stuff. And uh, I got some pretty good stuff, but every as far as I've gotten, I still end up with too much light around the horizon from all directions. And I'm like, I want nighttime. I want a dark sky with maybe a few stars. I don't want I don't want a horizon. I don't want to look over the horizon and see a little bit of light. Hmm. I haven't figured out how to get that working yet. Have you have you considered changing the sun to a moon? Yeah. And basically just what you not have having do, a sun. Well what you have to do is you, you have a directional light for the scene. You have to basically put that on the opposite side of the earth. And then you can add another light to be the sun, but you still have to have one that the skybox is using as the sun, even if it's underneath the entire level. Hmm. Okay, I'm already confused. Please yeah, proceed. It's a little weird. I tried a couple different things, um, but yeah, I haven't. I even <laughs> I didn't get this to work, but I even had the thought like laying in bed one night. Like, maybe I can just get rid of the sky and put the entire level inside a giant sphere and just put a material on the inside of it. Like, try that the next morning. Like, nope, that's not, that's a bad idea. <laughs> oh, come on, Joe. It's a Dyson sphere. Do it. Yeah. Do it. I was totally going for that. And then I actually started thinking, like, can I make gravity on the inside of the sphere? Because, like, no, this is, the, this is a horrible place to go. Don't go there. Those are all awesome ideas, Joe. <laughs> yeah, but I would never, ever, ever get anything done. To be building a massive world on the inside of a sphere. Yeah, and you can look straight up and see more world on the other side. Mm-hmm. And you get to do the the distance fog and... Yeah. Oh, yeah. And I just read the first book of the Virga series a couple months ago, and the entire world... It's like that, like floating islands and floating countries that rotate around a small sun in the middle of the planet. Like the entire planet and solar system is inside out, effectively. But yeah, I, I'm not going there for now. So, yeah, lighting is confusing. Making the sky turn in the nighttime is possible. It looks too realistic for what I'm going for, so I need to spend some more time on that. But for now, I figured out how to turn the lights out. And then um, the next thing was creating a landscape, creating some place to run around on. And the first thing I did was just throw a cube on the plane and stretch it out and make it really big. And that was fine for a couple hours. And then I replaced that with a landscape the next day. I, I walked through Unreal Engine's landscape documentation, which I had seen before in the other course I did in May. Um, it's actually really, it's a really cool system. It's more than I need for this game, I think, but I'm not sure. I may come back to it. But basically, you can make a a really cool material that uses different levels, and then you can, you know, create valleys and ditches and grasslands and mountains, um, and then paint your your landscape with those different layers of the same material. 
So they blend together really well. Um, so I did that in the tutorial, like the, the micro tutorial with the documentation. And then uh, when I started making my own materials for the landscape I was working on, I'm like, yeah, this is overkill for what I need. And making, yeah, I may come back to it. I'm not sure. What I did for now was delete it. And then I, since Wednesday or so, I've been working with an asset pack called Supergrid that I found in the store, which is basically a ton of static meshes that just come in simple shapes and then you can expand them, but they don't warp when they when they expand. They add additional segments on. So if you start with a cube with four segments on each face and you double it in size, it's going to have, what, 16 segments on each face. So it actually grows from basically an anchor point in all directions. So it's a lot easier to work with and apply different kinds of grid-based material materials to. It comes with a bunch. Um, and I started making some of my own. Okay. So I'm looking at some of their screenshots right now. Yeah. It's, it's basically a way of prototyping stuff out. Um, but I think I might actually be able to use some of these shapes with a lot of variation in some of the kind of alien landscape that I'm using rather than I actually picked up a building pack as well at one point and started building a city with that, but they were, it was just too realistic for the aesthetic that I'm going for. Mm -hmm. So I use that in some other project, I'm sure, but for now I think I just want more, I want things to look a bit more weird than just buildings with different materials on them. So, yeah, landscaping was weird. So, after I got the super grid thing, I just popped in some super grid cubes and made giant planes for the ground and started making different segments of the city. So, I think by Friday, I ended up with three different segments. I want to have more than that. Um, I actually toned it down to three because I was getting distracted. <laughs> I think before I went to bed on Thursday, I had a. Um, one big round segment in the middle and then basically a spire of segments coming up at different elevations and there was like 12 levels and it was getting crazy like, yeah I, I, i'm getting out of hand here <laughs> let's dial this back down a little bit so yeah that, that was kind of my week is just taking one concept and banging my head against it learning how to do it and then going too far with it and then rolling back the changes did a lot of that this week like, I made a really awesome landscape and then deleted it. And then made a really awesome, you know, 13-module city and deleted it. Now I'm down to three, and I've got some copy-and-paste building-type structures, and nothing is too big. But uh, I think the coolest thing I did during the week was learn a little bit about materials. And last week you talked about how building levels could take fractal time. I think materials could be that for me. Because you're basically you can it, you can do freaking anything with these. Yeah, I got it's, a little snippet of that just from my first glance at the material editor. Yeah. It's really incredible. It's really complex. You're basically using nodes to as an abstraction layer for shader code, which I have no idea how to write shader code or even which variation we're in. I remember looking it up on Wikipedia and 
kind of blinking at the page and closing it. <laughs> but uh, it's it's just really cool. Um, I'm starting to piece together what some of the main nodes are and how to use them. And I've walked through enough of other people's examples to be able to make basic things. Um, I don't really have a good sense of how to make textures for normal maps and things like that yet in Photoshop or other programs. So I've got that on my research list, but there's enough to start with in the starter assets and some of the asset packs that I have. I have something to work with. Um, And I think I'll actually be able to do a lot with that grid pack with some of the textures in there and be able to make my own materials based off of those textures. Because a lot of what I'm going for is going to have a very grid type of feeling to it. Um, Yeah, it was just really cool. The, in particular with materials was the ability to make emissive materials where an entire surface or just a line or part of a material or part of a static mesh can have kind of a glowing look to it. And that's where you get that kind of uh, neon you know, 1980s look to a lot of things. Um, like when I showed you hollow ball, they use some kind of emissive materials. I'm not mm-hmm. sure if they're using Unreal Engine or not, but or using Unity or something else. But that same that same type of lighting effect. And by default, these materials in Unreal Engine, they don't actually give off light. They look like they do, but they don't actually emit light into the world. But you can set them up to do so. So you can actually build a pretty cool like dark area and fill it full of emissive material objects and have it kind of light up from those objects. And then you can you have to kind of increase the lighting on those things pretty high and then you end up with some pretty nasty bloom effects. But that's when the post-process volume comes in. You add one of those to your level and make make sure to apply it to the entire level that you can um, scale back that bloom effect so you're not blinding people or making things look really fuzzy. So yeah, there's some really cool effects you can do with it. I I spent, I want to say, 50% of my time this week in the material editor just making different stuff. Wow. Got to make material instances. And the material instance thing itself is just awesome because you basically you can spend all your time making a really complex material. So you've got, you know, you got a specific grid. It glows. It pulses from one direction to the other. And then you make it purple. But you can make an instance of that and make a blue one and a red one and a green one. You know, as many colors as you want. Or, you know, just change the colors. You can change other parameters on them without having to change all the logic. That's material instances themselves are pretty awesome. Yeah, by the end of the week, um, I had a... I deleted a lot of the work that I'd done throughout the week, which is kind of a, you know, kind of a thing I do a lot. Um, And ended up with actually a city with daylight. I even deleted my failed nighttime scene. and just started building a world out of static meshes. And uh, I got to the point where I'm satisfied with the size of the, of the place and satisfied with knowing how to make the materials that I want. But I need, before I start making those materials, I need to really decide on the static meshes I'm going to use. And before I decide on those, I really need to 
get in the level and start moving around with the basically I'm going to replace the hand controllers that they give you in Unreal Engine's default VR template. We're going to replace those with another gimmicky object that I need to make. And once I do that, then I can actually start tackling the movement thing. I, I spent some time Friday night tackling movement. And it was funny, I actually disabled the right hand controller so it doesn't teleport anymore. So I could start using the inputs from it to try to do other things than the blueprint. And it didn't really work. Uh, at one point, I ended up with two left hands. <laughs> Both mapped to the left hand controller. <laughs> that, that was fun. But yeah, it was just fun to like, I'm partway breaking this, but I still have working teleporting in one hand and I'm like trying to get it to move in the other hand. Yeah, it's it's interesting. Um, but I think what I need to do, my next step is to actually make a skeletal mesh, I think, in Blender of the type of object I'm trying to make and then get that set up and working to the point where I can import it into Unreal Engine. I did my first attempt at that Friday, and it was just following a a 10-minute video on YouTube that I found. And this was not for the intention of working in Unreal Engine. This was just working in Blender. Here's how to make this type of thing. I made it. I didn't do anything special to it to optimize it or prepare it for Unreal Engine. I exported it in a certain file format, imported it, and then plopped it onto the hand controller. And I went from running you know, around 90 frames a second to running 15 frames a second. <laughs> I'm like, oh, okay, yeah, this is bad. And like, as soon as I popped back out of the VR preview, I had like a flurry of hateful error messages waiting on me. Like, I don't know what type of object this is. Get it out of me. Like, Unreal Engine was not having it. <laughs> so that's our show for this week. Thanks for listening. You can find us on Twitter. I'm at VRHermit underscore Dave. And I'm at VRHermit underscore Joe. Uh, we also have a website, VRHermits.com. If you could, like us on iTunes, Overcast, Stitcher, or your podcast player of choice. 